Yeah, I got a question for you guys. It's a big mailbag episode. That's how the Late Kick Extra podcast works. But I have a question for you. And I would simply like to know, what is the best city nickname for any city in the United States of America? Because I've been going back and forth about this all day, killing time till we could record. And I love City of Angels. That's Los Angeles. Of course, as Pac-12 Pate, I'm a little bit biased. I lean more towards the West Coast, but we got a lot of Big Apple. We got a whole lot of city that never sleeps. We got the Windy City. We got the Big Easy. There's a lot coming in on the way of New Orleans, but just interested to get your take there. It's on Twitter right now, at Lake Kick Josh, if you want to check it out. Anyway, this is a college football podcast. We do not take an offseason. We do Late Kick Live two nights a week on the YouTube channel, but every... Now and then, we just have to come over here amongst ourselves and do a mailbag podcast-only edition, and we're loaded with questions, and we are going to waste no time, because there's a lot that's been going on since I went down to Harris County, Georgia, for a few days for Memorial Day. We're going to start with Ryan, and Ryan's asking the question a lot of you are asking. He said, if we want every Saturday to continue to mean something in the new era of college football, doesn't the SEC possibly staying in an eight-game conference schedule to continue to play cupcakes and create tiebreaker nightmares fly in the face of that? That's Ryan from Wyoming, Pennsylvania? Interesting town name there. I don't know what the nickname of Wyoming is. So here's what's happening down in the SEC. They've been going back and forth about this. You have probably seen this. I'm not going to rehash what the debate is. Well, I guess I am. Some folks want to play eight conference games and four out of conference. Some folks want to play nine conference games and three out of conference. And what I have told you for a while is I didn't think it was going to be as clear cut as it was being made out to be. And I also think that there are several more dynamics in the room than are being admitted by either side. The one side that wants to stay at eight, uh, you're shying away from competition. I know you have your reasons, but you're shying away from competition And you're probably not putting the best quality product on the field. The folks who just automatically say you ought to play nine, period, and there is no debate. Yes, there is debate. And here would be my main point of contention. If I were an SEC head coach, a lot of them are worried about making a bowl game every year. So let's put that on the table. That wouldn't be my concern. But some of them at certain programs, they're concerned that if they have to play nine conference games a year and they're they're already hovering around that six win per season mark, They think that could keep them out of bowl eligibility, which costs them money. Voila, it always comes back to that M word. But that wouldn't be my main point of contention. If I were in the eight and no more camp, if I didn't want to play nine conference games, I would simply say, what benefit is there for us? Yes, you say it'll make us more money. It'll it'll give us a better TV product. But really, we're already swimming in cash down here. Here's what I would want to know. Can you guarantee me that if I beef up my strength of schedule voluntarily, that you on the back end with your committee, that you will guarantee me you can properly interpret that. Because right now, we live in one of those cultures, and if you're a college football fan who is non-casual, you know what I'm talking about, where we've still got a pervasive you are what your record says you are, foolish viewpoint on this sport held by many. Now, if you're new to this particular show, you are what your record says you are is one of the great lies that is told about college football. This is not pro sports, and we've already talked about this a lot, so I'm not going down that road again either, but I just want to remind you, picture this. You got a lot of folks out there who are criticizing the SEC for not going to nine conference games per year, and those are the same people that if LSU were to add a Georgia any given year, or Georgia were to add an Oklahoma any given year, and they lost that game and they were a two-loss team, 
Those are the same people who would say, oh, no, they can't have a top four seed. No, they can't be ranked that high. They're a two-loss team. Never taking into consideration what the two losses were. Who were they against? How many top 20 or 25-ish teams did you beat? So that crowd that believes you are what your record says you are, you're the last folks I want to hear from when we're talking about whether the SEC should go to eight games or nine games. Here's the other thing. The other thing is, there's this criticism about the SEC that they have a cupcake game, which most of them do. And it, it's always said in a vacuum. Like, it, you, could have, you could have Alabama or you could have Auburn or someone. They'll, they'll play, first off, the SEC West. And if you're not Alabama and you're in the West, you have to play Bama too. And so you'll play all those teams. Then normally they've got a really good out-of-conference opponent. I mean, I'm looking at the future schedules. Pretty much every one of them is loaded up in the out-of-conference. And then you'll throw a UT Chattanooga in there. And people who are smart enough to know better, but they just want to make an intellectually dishonest counterpoint, they'll say, look at this. They're playing Cupcake City. They're playing UT Chattanooga. Yes, they are. Who else are they playing? My point is, even with the Cupcake Week, the SEC, by and large, has the toughest strength of schedule metrics in the country. So you're asking the conference that already plays the toughest schedule to voluntarily, just for the good of the game, up their strength of schedule and add a ninth conference game. I don't know which way it's going to go. We're recording this on, what is it, Wednesday afternoon. I don't know which way that's going to go, but I don't think it's as clear cut as people are making it out to be. It's not solvable in a tweet. If it was, it would already be handled. So there's a lot of politicking, there's a lot of angling and selfish interests, yes, in the room. I don't know which way it's going to go. But I do, I do think even if they stay at eight, it's not like they're going to stay at eight and load up on a bunch of, of Eastern Michigans for their out-of-conference slate. And for those of you who say, oh, yeah, they will, they do it already. They don't. They don't do that already. Anytime someone comes at me like that and I'll press them to where they actually have to go to Google or go to footballschedules.com and pull up the actual team someone plays, you always find out. That's not the case. That's not the case at all. And that's that. Okay, let's move on. Good mailbag here. Very, very lengthy mailbag today. And so we can't spend 10 minutes on any one answer. I have brought the coffee back for a part two. Mm. And it is, in typical fashion, completely tasteless. Edmond, Oklahoma is where CFB Community checks in from. Here's the question. He said, Joel Klatt said on his podcast recently that with the current conference realignment trends, he believes at some point lesser programs in terms of TV attraction could see themselves kicked out of conferences. Do you think this is possible? Shame on you, Joel Klatt. How could you suggest such a thing? Oh, I know because he's right. I agree with him. I heard Joel say this the other day. I agree with him. I think that's the route you're quickly headed down. And I know you may look at that if you want to be the eternal optimist in the room and you want to say, oh, that, that could never happen. It would never come to that, really? Let's just hit the rewind button, okay? In college football right now, the past 27 or so major announcements that you've heard in this sport, the last 27 or so big moves that have happened in this sport, what have they virtually all been in the name of? The dollar. The dollar. I'm not here to I'm not here to attack that philosophy, but I am here to warn you that it's not like people once they get a taste for that dollar all of a sudden lose interest in it. And so if we've got a brand new multimedia rights deal in the Big Ten, 
And we've got a brand new multimedia rights deal in the SEC. And the SEC, for example, is trying to leverage more money out of ESPN if they were to add a ninth conference game. ESPN may look at them. And I'm not saying this is happening. I'm winking. I'm not saying this is happening, but it could happen. So follow me. What if ESPN were to say, we don't want to pay you more money to see, all due respect, Missouri versus Vanderbilt. However, if we could see Florida State versus Georgia more, we'd be about that. If that ninth conference game was Clemson versus LSU, we'd be about that. So you guys go get your affairs in order and then come back to the table. You think that out of all these moves that have been made recently, those conferences are all of a sudden going to kick their can home and not explore that possibility. But Josh, there are contracts. Sure there are. Sure there are. And there's also language in those contracts to void those contracts. So if you're sitting there right now and you are one of the tier three programs in one of these major conferences, I would not feel safe. I don't know if it's going to happen overnight or even over the next one or two years, but everybody knows it. Like everyone understands that's the elephant in the room. Everyone understands that if we were to reconstruct the SEC today, you would not have certain teams in that conference like you do. Ditto for the Big Ten. Because the Big Ten, look, once they've gone national, once they've gotten the L.A. market, they could easily get into the Pacific Northwest tomorrow if they wanted to. They could take Miami if they were available. They could take South Florida if they wanted to. The Big Ten is a national conference now. You really think the Big Ten needs Rutgers? Do you really think that? And I know about all the media market. I'm telling you, regardless of whether you have a physical, like, dot-on-a-map presence in the Northeast, the Big Ten's got who they need to have, coast to coast. I think the same thing about the SEC, even though their dots on their map don't go coast to coast. Now it's about increasing the value of the inventory. And the way to do that is to kick out the lesser, kick out the have-nots for more of the haves, who subsequently are knocking on your door right now. So I think Clatt's right. I don't even think that's that big a stretch. I know some people, when he said it, came out and said, how could he, how could he throw that hot of a take out here? That's not a hot take. Is it any hotter than this time one year ago, me predicting to you that USC is going to the Big Ten? I didn't predict it. That's the whole point. No one could have seen it coming, and you would have laughed at me. <laughs> How's a, how's a team all the way out on the Pacific Ocean going to play in the Big Ten? As easy as flipping a switch, as it turns out. They're not even the only team from Los Angeles that's going to the Big Ten, as it turns out. And so if all of the, if all of the mechanisms that used to be in place to stop that are eroding, what's one more? What, what's history? What's tradition? What's a contract? I don't know. I don't think they're worth nearly what they used to be worth. At least that's not the way it feels. Sad though it may be, that's, that's where you cue the Sarah McLaughlin music, and we still have not heard from her people. We would love to license it for free. I think it's the free that's the hang-up, Colin. I don't think that there's so much against it. It's just, I don't know, they, wanna, they want a little bit more from us to use arms of an angel than we're really ready to provide. Speaking of which, Brandon Walker from Point City hits us up, and he just, he just wants to know, why are you the way that you are? And here, here is what that has to do with. Number one, Brandon Walker's a hater. But also, 
I was minding my own business down in Georgia, enjoying a little bit of a vacation weekend. And all of a sudden, Brandon Walker throws one of his questions out there when he didn't get enough attention and just needs someone to look at him. He goes the George Strait versus Garth Brooks route. Bradley, I think you have that next one if you want to go ahead and throw it up. So, And I'm just using that for my amusement in the studio because you can't even see this. But, you know, Pops from Temple, Georgia, asked us in that vein, Given all the George Strait slander on the timeline today, what are your top five straight songs? So I'm not going to bore you with like a history of my love of country music, but Brandon Walker went down this route and, and his question was, he put it in a poll. He's actively seeking input. Garth Brooks versus George Strait, who you taking? I've always been more of a George Strait guy. This is not one of those Bo versus Herschel debates where in order to prop one of them up, you have to say the other one sucked. This is not MJ LeBron for me. Those arguments have always been very stupid. And so I don't participate. Well, when it comes to Garth and George Strait, both of them are really good. I like both of them. I happen to think George Strait is the one where I would, you know, I'd lean 70-30 that way. But Brandon Walker just up in arms. And so, you know, he starts throwing a little Twitter tizzy, trademark. And he said, like, well, what about Friends in Low Places? And I'm just being real with you. There are 20 George Strait songs I would take over Friends in Low Places. You want to talk about the dance with me? You want to talk about the Thunder Rolls? Those are iconic George Str- or uh, Garth Brooks songs, and I will not throw any shade their way. But there are some popular Garth Brooks songs that I was just never all that into. And I could say the same for George Strait, actually. I just like his catalog a little better. And Amarillo by Morning is one of my top three favorite songs of all time. I also think Run, which was released in the 2000s. It's not an older George Strait song, per se, Oh, man, just listen to how layered it is musically. It's wonderful. I play it for the staff all the time. Bradley loves it. Okay, next up. That's enough. That's far too much time allocated to Brandon Walker on the pod today. Thomas hit us up. He said, if an alien visited you and asked you to take them to five college football home atmospheres to convince them why this is the best sport in the Milky Way, which home stadiums would you take them to? Now, Thomas said, I'm not allowed to do rivalry games. Uh, but I'm just going to ignore that because some of these will be rivalry games. One of them will at least. I need to be fair to the alien, so I can't just take him all around the SEC. I mean, truthfully, I could just do five places in the SEC. I could really, I could do them multiple places in the Big Ten, too. So here's what I decided to do. I am going to welcome this alien. I'm not going to make any rash judgments. I- I've seen the movies, so I know what you guys are allegedly about, but I want to know what you're actually about, and I want you to know what we're about. So I'm going to take the alien to be named later and I'm going to take him to a big time SEC game. Could be the Swamp, could be Death Valley, could be Georgia, Bama, Auburn, Tennessee, like any of these. I'm going to pick a big game and I'm taking him to one of the SEC venues. Okay, so he got that and he checked that off. He has experienced the SEC. Maybe I take him to like LSU at night. So he's experienced that. The next place I have to take the alien is to Penn State for the whiteout game. And I would prefer if we did the whiteout game in a year where the schedule aligns where Penn State's biggest home game can actually be the whiteout game. You know, so like this year, it would be Michigan, even though Michigan's not going to be the whiteout game. I would love for them to be able to see that. I would love for an alien to watch Michigan have to call timeout before they snap the ball. That really happened, children, not that long ago. It really happened. And it could be that way again. So... You know, you get, you get Big Noon Kickoff out of the way. I think the alien would like Big Noon Kickoff, too, if he's anything like me. But I digress. The third place I'm taking the alien is we've already been to the SEC. We've already been to the Big Ten. 
I am taking him in a rare move to a neutral site. And it's going to be the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas. And we're going to watch OU versus Texas. And as I am recording this, we had news from Chip Brown over at Horns 24-7 that it looks like, and this is big news, get ready for it, it looks like they're about to re-up the deal to stay at the Cotton Bowl. And I got to be real with you. And I got to be real with the alien. I had been worried about this. I had been worried that we were just going to wake up one day on a Friday at 4.45 p.m. and we were going to get the news dump to end all news dumps. And that is OU Texas is moving to AT&T Stadium. And I would have been livid. But instead, looks like sane, non-casual minds have prevailed out there in the Lone Star State. And it looks like they're going to stay. The Red River game will stay at the Cotton Bowl. And I am glad because I, I really want to take this alien to an OU Texas game. Okay, so then the alien's already gotten his fill everywhere, Texas to Pennsylvania to somewhere in the SEC. Well, then I want to go out west because he's going to start to hear things. The alien's going to start to hear that, oh, this must, be, this must be like a regional sport where they don't care about it on the West Coast. I, die, I beg to differ. We're going to Oregon. You know, I can't think of a better game this year than maybe that USC game when Southern Cal goes up to Austin Stadium. That'd be a really good one. Late in the year, too. That's after the midpoint. I was up there for the UCLA game last year. I would love to take our new friend, the alien, from where? I don't know. But... I'd love to take him to Autzen Stadium. Unlike the places in the SEC, unlike the other places I've taken him, the fans are right on top of you in Autzen Stadium. It's really hard. When I went up there last time, I don't even think I ever walked to the other end zone because there was not enough room behind the bench for me to even walk. There would have been, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to bother people. So we've gone coast to coast, but I get five places. So I was really, I was really struggling with the fifth one. Army-Navy is its own experience. So I'm allowing myself a sixth. Army-Navy would be the sixth. But I would want to go to a Notre Dame game because I also want to make sure that our friend the alien, who is not from this planet, respects the tradition, at least in our sport, that we still hold dear. And I've been to one game at Notre Dame Stadium. Maybe that changes this year. But it just it washes over you. The pageantry and knowing that they're they're doing the same cheers they've done for like 450 years up there. They're wearing the same uniforms in most weeks that they've worn for a long time. The golden helmet means something to me. It, and I did not grow up in Indiana. I grew up in the South, but it means something to me. Now, when I was growing up in the South, it was me being taught to hate that golden helmet. Hate Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn is the enemy. But I secretly rooted for him. I secretly pulled for him. Or at least I, I pulled for Notre Dame to be good. I was one of those sick-minded kids that was rooting for what's in the best interest of the sport. Can you believe that? Like, what a, what a degenerate childhood I had. Ah, uh, yes, I know. I know that Notre Dame, led by Charlie Weiss at that time, Lou Holtz before that, I know that I'm supposed to hate them, but is it in the best interest of the sport for me to hate them? What a nerd. So, yeah, that's, that's my five-pack along with Army-Navy, so technically a six-pack of college football greatness that myself and the alien will encounter. Good question there. We need more extraterrestrial questions, in my opinion. Philip is from Tucker, Georgia, and Philip asked what my thoughts are on Kirby Smart's statement about the expanded playoff benefiting teams who don't make the SEC championship game 
compared to the two who play in it. And if you're unfamiliar, they're having the SEC spring meetings down in Destin. Now all the coaches have press conferences and there's otherwise a lot of backroom dealings. So Kirby Smart was talking about how he thinks it's really overrated, the whole eight-game versus nine-game conference schedule debate. He thinks that's overrated. He said what people should be talking about more is we're going to an expanded playoff. Is someone going to actually benefit by not playing in the SEC championship game? He's got a good point here, and I don't think some folks took the time to properly digest what he's suggesting because you you immediately saw people when that quote went out saying, well, that's solved because there's incentive to win the conference title because you can get a first round bye if you're a conference champion. That's true. What about the team that loses the SEC championship? There aren't just, there are two teams in that game, not just one team. So yeah, the winner, that's great. If Georgia goes to the SEC championship game and they win it, that's wonderful. But let me ask you this. Let's just go back to last year but let's pretend there was a 12-team playoff. Alabama didn't win the West. Alabama did not even go and play for the SEC championship. LSU did, and they lost. Who would have benefited more in that scenario? Alabama sitting at home or LSU having beaten Bama and earning the opportunity to go to Atlanta and playing in the SEC title game and losing? Who's in the better position? The answer is Alabama. Kirby Smart's exactly right. There are going to be scenarios, much more plentiful in supply, by the way, where you're going to benefit from not playing the conference title game. I know it's happened before. I know there's been a year with Bama, actually. There was a year where they did not make the SEC title game, and they still made the playoff, and they won the whole thing. Yes, that has happened before. I ask you this. How fine was the needle that had to be threaded for that to happen versus how frequently it could happen in the future. So he's right about that. And then the follow-up, I think, is also misguided. The follow-up is, okay, well, that means we got to rework some things. How do we further incentivize going to the conference title game? Not just winning it, but going to the conference title game. Is that the question, though? I don't know that that's the question, as much as maybe the real question being, What is the value in conference championship games in the expanded playoff era? Now, you know how I feel about this. I hate the expanded playoff. So I I don't like the question. But I'm telling you, since you're dragging me into this new era, I'm going to ask if everything's on the table and and we're not going to value the things we used to value, well, why in the world are you even playing a conference title game? Money is the obvious answer, uh, but people can't say that to your face. so, So they have to make up a reason. But I'm asking you, you're going you're gonna to go play a conference title game. Then in many cases, both teams are going to make the playoff anyway. And yeah, four of them are going to have buys. But outside of that, like really, even some conference champs aren't going to have first round buys. So you win it, you lose it, you're playing for seeding. In a lot of cases, that's the way it's going to be. And I know that the retort should be, well, Josh, you should play for pride. No, no, we, we, we should play for it. Yeah. Yeah, but that went out the door when some of you started referring to bowl games as meaningless because they didn't have playoff ramifications on the line. Remember that? Yeah, it's like five minutes old. That's, that went out the door when some of you started calling late season games meaningless because teams were out of the playoff hunt. No, that ship sailed and you cut the rope at the dock. Not all of you, 
but some of you that would then come at me and say, shame on you for suggesting there's less value in a conference title game. No, pride is on the line. Hmm. Okay. Well, could you tell me that later tonight so I don't have to take a sleeping pill? Let's move on. Get a little worked up on that one. Let me take a little chuggy chug of coffee here. Drank way too much of this on the way home last night. But we roll on. Scott hit us up and he said, as a fan, what should I look for in determining if a coach is building a great program rather than just building towards one great team and then a sharp decline? This is a good question. It's the Michigan State question. So Mel Tucker, two years ago at Michigan State, had a great year. They were actually in the playoff hunt. They were in the Big Ten championship hunt until really late in the year. Then they were terrible last year. So Mel Tucker, as it turns out, was not building a sustainable program. Well, so far, the evidence so far would suggest that he wasn't building a sustainable program that was going to do that every year, but rather he had one good team. And then as it turns out, it was going to fall off a cliff the next year. So what do we look at? Well, I'll tell you what I remember about that Michigan State team. And I'll tell you, Scott, what I always look at to gauge sustainability How often are we talking about specific players when we're referencing a team versus how often are we talking about position units? Because players move on. But the identity and the philosophy behind building a position room, that can sustain. So like with Georgia, Scott's from Atlanta, by the way. So as like with Georgia, they're losing guys every year. Bama's lost guys for a while every year. You don't think they're going to drop off a cliff, though. In fact, you know they're not going to. And the reason's because you know they recruit and they develop. Now, we already know that about those programs. But the ones that are up and coming, so to speak, that's what I look at. Brian Kelly is probably about to put LSU in this position where guys are going to move on, but you're looking at them and you're saying, yeah, they lost good players to the draft in this given year. But think about the room for that defensive line. Think about the room for that secondary. And again, that doesn't apply this year because they had to go total portal for their defensive backs. But once you've been there two, three, or four years, and the entire program is your identity at that point and your thumbprint, that's what I look for. I look for how often is your greatness attributed to one or two players versus whether it's attributed to your depth. Also, the other thing to look for, Scott, is any given year, when you rotate, when your defensive front rotates, how big is the drop-off? Or how unsafe does your coaching staff even consider upfront rotation defensively. That is a sign that, you know, once those frontline guys move on, you may not have much in the cupboard behind them. But a good question. That's something to watch. I can assure you this time of year, that's what we're doing. We're doing inventories on rosters and what's coming back. And then what have we seen from them, both unit-wise and individually up to this point. It is a very inexact science, though. Cole from Tampa hit us up and asked, Do we not value the craziness of the 2007 season enough? Cole, I think it depends on whether you were there. It's a classic you had to be there thing. I don't think that if you're 16 years old right now, you properly value 2007 because the math indicates you weren't even old enough to know what was going on. But for those of us who were cognizant and aware of what we were seeing, I have pulled up on my iJosh right now in week seven. So I guess this would be week eight. In week eight, late in the year, relatively speaking, in 2007, this was your top 10. Ohio State was number one. 
You may think to yourself, oh, this sounds normal. Yeah, South Florida was number two. Boston College was number three. Then you had LSU, Oklahoma. South Carolina was number six. Kentucky was number seven. Arizona State was at eight. And West Virginia was at nine. In any one year, any one of those teams being in the top 10 is a story. If I told you South Florida was going to be in the top 10 this year, that's a story. Certainly, if I told you West Virginia is going to be up there, that'd be a miracle. How about all of them? Boston College, South Florida, both, both South Carolina and Kentucky, Arizona State's up there, West Virginia, all in the top 10 just in a random week eight. And then I cannot in strong enough terms emphasize to you kiddos out there who are brand new to basically life in college football. I want you to imagine this. Okay, everyone thinks it's in vogue now and it's cool to talk about TV ratings, even though they don't impact you. So if you're, if you're one of those TV ratings snobs, let me paint a picture for you. Your ESPN, or I guess ABC at the time, you have the rights to the BCS title game. And it's conference championship weekend. And you are, you are on pace to have West Virginia versus Missouri as the national title game. We came that close to West Virginia, Missouri being the title game. So here's what happens. This is the craziest thing. I remember how surreal this felt even as it was happening. Oklahoma played Missouri in the Big 12 title game, and they beat them. So that knocks Missouri out of the, the number two spot, I think. West Virginia, as a three-plus touchdown favorite, loses to Pitt 13-9 in the backyard brawl. That knocks them out of the national title game. And guess who was waiting there? Remember, it's about brands, right? It's about ratings. ESPN goes from having potentially West Virginia versus Missouri to having LSU versus Ohio State fall in their lap. LSU had two losses, guys. LSU lost their last regular season game in triple overtime, by the way. That team ends up playing for a national title and winning it in New Orleans. LSU only wins titles in New Orleans. It's wild. Um, I... I'm just, I, if you want to relive a year, go relive 07. I don't know that they've ever done a 30 for 30 on it. If they did, it may supplant Pony Excess as the best 30 for 30 that ESPN ever did. You talk about weekly now, not, not once or twice in the year, weekly being swerved all the way off the cliff and down the ravine and into the Pacific Ocean with just stuff that you would never expect. And then it's all happening collectively. In baseball, they say base hits are contagious. Hitting is contagious. It's like upsets were contagious. And you were so unsure of yourself. Think about being a gambler. You were so unsure of yourself. Like you, nothing was taken for granted. It didn't matter if you were favored by four or five touchdowns. Nothing was taken for granted that year. You never knew what was coming. Sort of like this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. And with that, we're back. Uh, the Woodlands in Texas is checking in. Seth, to be specific, said, Can Sanford Stadium really be better than Kyle Field? If you had to preface that Sanford had to return to being a tough crowd when Kyle has never been in question. Regardless of on-the-field production, our fans have always shown up. I did not intend for this to become what it became. So innocently enough, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, believe it or not, Brandon Walker, shaming Georgia because Sanford Stadium wasn't a top five game day environment. And I said, and I'm right about this, because I'm on the field at these places every week, I said, you're right, Sanford did not used to be a top five game day environment. It's changed. And I laid out the reasons why it's changed. It's got a lot to do with Kirby Smart. It's not just winning. Yes, it matters that they're winning. It is an attitude shift that happened. Like the entire fan base, almost like they're clocking into work when they come to Sanford Stadium now. I've been there in both times, the quieter times and the more rabid times. Because they were winning under Mark Richt. Sanford Stadium wasn't like this. So that's what I said. And I looked at some of the top five that he sent me. And I pointed out, I think right now, just pound for pound, Sanford's a better game day environment than Kyle Field. I said the same thing about the Swamp. I'm not, I'm not bashing either one of them. They're both incredibly loud, incredibly intense. I am using that as a barometer to try and explain to you what Sanford Stadium is like on game day right now. Well, anyway, that became a, you hate Texas A&M, you hate Florida, or, or maybe you had a more well-reasoned reply like Seth did. And he said, hey, man, shouldn't we point out that Kyle Field's always been electric? Sounds like Georgia had to become a winner again before they got their act together. If you want to take that route, take that route. I'm not here to defend them or anything. I'm just, as a matter of fact, stating that I get to be on the sidelines at these places every week. So I've got a pretty good read on it. And there are not five better in the SEC than Sanford right now. You could give any given order. Yeah, Tennessee's up there. Yeah, LSU's up there. Um, I, like, I also, I'm not dumb. If Billy Napier were to take Florida and, and be right there, smack dab in the middle of national title contention this year, uh, the Swamp would be out of its mind. Winning absolutely has a lot to do with it. Yes, I, no one has been a bigger national defender of the Kyle Field environment than me. Okay, I have taken criticism for what I've said about Kyle Field and the Texas A&M fan base. So yeah, no one's ever going to paint me in a corner of being opposed to A&M or painting their game day atmosphere in anything other than a very positive light. I wasn't painting anyone's in a negative light. I was just overly emphasizing what George is like now. Kyle Field's incredible. Kyle Field's got a different, I will say this about Kyle Field, the culture, the vibe is different than any place in college football. So yes, it's loud, but noise can be noise. You could theoretically say, hey, a decibel level is a decibel level, right? How are they making it? And at Texas A&M, they make it in a little different way. Some of you call that cult behavior. I just call it passion. And frankly, I don't really care if it's a cult. As long as I'm friendly with the cult, I don't really care. And I'm friendly with Texas A&M. So they welcome me in. And they, if they hand me a torch and they hand me a pitchfork, I'll turn on you guys. I will. Especially if you're criticizing us. Hashtag us. I hope you heard that, Billy Lucci. 
Uh, Justin hit me up from Brantford, Florida. He said, hey, what's the mood tracker for tornadoes this year? Are you trending up or down? I've had a wonderful chase season. I've seen three tornadoes in person. However, if you live in the southeast, it's been really quiet. It's been weird. You had more activity in January, if you're in like west central Georgia, than you have in April or May. There's been a lot of action in the Texas panhandle. Uh, New Mexico has been a hot spot for chasing lately. Colorado, I would imagine, may light up. So it's just been that kind of year. And it's tough for me to get all the way out there because we're doing something every other day here on air. But you, you'll remember we had some successful chases in Arkansas, saw one in Illinois. And so I've had a good season. Like three, you told me I was going to see three tornadoes in person in one spring chase season. I'm fine with that. However, let's not just assume it's over. Moving on. I always wonder, is there anyone listening to the pod for the first time? Because if you are, you wonder, where, like, where did that question come from? Well, I like to chase storms in the spring. Those of you who follow me on social know there's some other activities of more questionable legality that I like to participate in. It doesn't put anyone in harm's way. It's fine. Uh, but I kind of kind of dance around talking about it publicly, but I, I put it out there on the socials. You watch that Instagram story any given day, at Lake Kick Josh. You never know what you'll see. Uh, Jeff is checking in from Calhoun, Georgia. He said, if you could know the result of any regular season game to get the best glimpse of the season ahead, which game would you pick? And he said, I cannot use Ohio State-Michigan. That's fine, Jeff. I wasn't going to pick Ohio State-Michigan anyway, believe it or not. I would go FSU-Clemson. If you told me the outcome of FSU-Clemson, that's week four, I think I would know a quarter of the playoff picture. Maybe. So if you told me, like, Tigers by 17, I don't think they have other big hurdles. Especially if they're that thorough against Florida State, I don't know what their other big hurdles are. And so I, you're painting them into the ACC championship game already. Conversely, if Florida State were to go up there in the Tiger Stadium in Death Valley and they were to win by double digits, especially if Florida State wins, they may be, they may be undefeated in conference play. The line on that game right now is Clemson minus two and a half. Uh, that is, by the way, with home field baked in. So that's an odds maker telling you, hey, we may even power rate Florida State just a, just a smidge above. Clemson. That's one of them. I'll tell you another one I would really appreciate a spoiler on. That's Penn State, Ohio State. You give me that one, and I know a lot. Because then, if you, if you let me know Penn State's going to beat Ohio State as a 10.5 point dog, no less, it doesn't matter to me if Penn State lost to Michigan, or it may not matter as much. Because at least I know they're splitting those big two games. They're not going to get swept. And likewise, if you tell me Ohio State beats Penn State, I am going to think to myself, that's the big hurdle. I think they'll be undefeated, at least in conference play, undefeated when they play Michigan late in the year. So I would love to know the outcome there. Really, though, if the upset were to happen, I think that's the bigger story. If the upset happens, number one, uh, Penn State is in line to maybe go to the Big Ten championship game, depending on the Michigan game. They're in the playoff picture. But also, if Ohio State lost to Penn State. They're already a flawed team. Well, their record has a flaw on it, a blemish on it before that Michigan game. That could be tough. Uh, the third one, LSU Alabama. Looks like CBS 
Looks like Big Brother's going to make this the night game in the SEC this year. By the way, for those of you who like night games, it looks like Bama's going to get Texas and LSU in Bryant-Denny Stadium at night. So there's that. Um, Man, how this one shakes out is is another really big deal. And remember, of course, Bama goes down there last year. They lose. LSU wins the division. If LSU, if Brian Kelly walks into the SEC and starts off 2-0 against Nick Saban, and that is, by the way, him doing what people said he couldn't do, and that's beat Alabama, beat Nick Saban. It's crazy what better players will do for you. I think that'd be huge. Because we already know, if you tell me the outcome of that one is Bama losing, they probably have no more margin for error in conference play. And likewise, if you tell me Bama wins that game, well, that means obviously they were just good enough to do it. Then if you told me the score and it was pretty emphatic, I would wonder, oh, I wonder if they got that quarterback play figured out. I wonder if that secondary is as good as I think it's going to be. So I would like to know FSU Clemson. I would like to know Penn State, Ohio State. And I certainly would like to know LSU Alabama. If anyone knows anything out there, I promise I'll keep it to myself. Just hit me up. You know how to get in touch with me. Uh, Next question. This is from John in League City, Texas. (laughs) He said, hey, what's your breaking point? What will college football have to do or become for you to say, see ya? Just throw up the deuces. John, I don't know exactly what it would look like. My answer is if it abandons its roots of Saturday. Now, I don't know what that even means. I don't, truthfully, I don't see myself walking away from college football. We're a long, long way from that. Even with all the drama around the sport, that stuff's relative. Like we're, we are miles and miles away from your boy here ever saying, yeah, I think I'm going to go get a normal job. I'm, I'm out on college football. And if I didn't do this for a living now, I'm telling you, even as a fan, we're a long way away from this sport ever being in a situation where I say that. I told you guys I, when we did the talk with Cole Kublik, which I highly advise you to listen to, And let me hit time out here. I know some of you are like me. I know some of you have your shows you listen to, and I appreciate you making this one of your shows. And our our research indicates you listen to this show to hear what I have to say. And I don't take that for granted. And there are shows where I do that as well. It's a solo host show, and I just care what that person has to say on whatever it is. And I know what your tendency is. Your tendency is when that host brings a guest on, you skip over that episode. I know because I do that. And so I'm trying to tell you, don't do that. When I bring a guest on this show, it is not going to be a filler episode. You go listen to me and Kublik go back and forth about an hour 15, hour 20. And especially at certain parts there, I feel like that's some of the best college football content you were ever going to get in the month of May. Maybe even beyond. So that's a PSA. And check out his YouTube channel while you're at it. Cube Show. It's really good stuff. Really good. My dad asked me the other day, hey, which, which channel do you think would be the next one to blow up? I think Kublik's channel is going to blow up. It's really good content. It's a really good like mixture of great personality, intimate knowledge of X's and O's, and behind-the-scenes access because he's on the road every week talking to coaches every week. You don't get that very many places. Just letting you know. Some of these channels you you are and aren't subscribed to, that's one you should probably be subscribed to. He's not paying me any money, so I'm going to stop that now. Um, What would it take for me to walk away from the sport? John, I just, I think if they were to totally abandon 
regular season value. And I don't think you can do that. You can, you can lessen the value, which an expanded playoff kind of does, but it's in their best interest. It's in the right holder's best interests to maintain and maximize the value of their regular season inventory. And so even though I don't necessarily say I align with these people, we do have mutual interests. Our mutual interest is make sure the sport revolves around Saturdays in the fall. Make sure that's what college football is known for. Make sure you enshrine and crystallize as much of the passion and the tradition as you can. I would argue you could do a better job of it than we're currently doing, but at least we're doing a half decent job of it. John, I don't think I'm walking away from college football. And if I am, what's the alternative? What, what am I walking to? What has more of what I claim to like than college football? The answer is nothing. So I'm here. I'm here for the long run. And I appreciate you guys being here too. Good pod today, a little bit later than normal. Factors outside of our control. And um, those are, I was out of town. That's the factor. So I appreciate it. Uh, we'll be late kick live tomorrow night. I'm going to have an announcement on the Thursday night late kick live. The Pate State Speaker Series rolls on. We're just adding more and more. Told you we were going to have a little delay, but we were eventually going to get the ball rolling. Well, it's rolling now. It is rolling, and uh, we will have a jam-packed June for you. April, May, June. Yeah, that's where we are. Uh, so check that out tomorrow night. Appreciate you guys. Do one favor for me. Subscribe to this podcast feed. The end. Otherwise, just go live your life any which way you want to. Just be nice to each other. For Bradley the Associate, for Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Bate. Take care. Have a great rest of your day, and God bless.